Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. For the last several weeks, we've been walking through the season of Advent, and we said at the very beginning, two weeks ago, that the overarching theme of the Bible is that God wants to be with his people and how people can be with God. The overarching theme of the Bible, the Bible's scary to you, that's it. How God wants to be with his people and how people can be with God. And then we said that this, that this like theme is played out in kind of like a four-act play. If you've ever been to a play, you got different acts, different intermissions, things like that. This is like a four-act play where the opening act in act one is creation. And we saw in act one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then this creation story culminates. It kind, of, it kind of starts all zoomed out and then it zooms in and then it culminates in the creation of humanity, of men and women and how God in creation gives men and women, us, dignity and direction. That we have dignity as humans, not because our culture says we do, not because our actions say we do, but because God says we do. As those created in his image, we have dignity regardless of time, place, and culture. But not only that, he gave us direction. He didn't just create humanity and then leave them in the garden. He said, no, breathe fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with other image bearers. Extend the glory of God, the image of God to the ends of the earth. And so humans, including you, not just Adam and Eve, are given dignity, but we've also been given a direction to spread the glory of God to the ends of the earth. That's act one. But as act one closes, the orchestra down in the pit, right, hits a minor note. Because in act two, last week, we saw that this beautiful created order of God creating everything, giving dignity and direction, this beautiful creation comes crumbling down under the weight of sin. And sin separates humans from God. And not only that, but sin separates humans from one another. Like not only do we see, we see right away Adam and Eve separated from God. They're scared of God as he walks through the garden. They try to cover themselves with insufficient coverings. They're separated from God. But then just a few verses later, they're also separated from each other as Adam blames Eve. The first like marital conflict, right? Adam blames Eve. God's like, Adam, why'd you do this? He's like, I didn't do it. It was the woman. And the woman's like, it was a servant. Like everything is unraveling. In just three chapters into the Bible, the Bible's a long book. It's within the first two pages. Darkness falls over God's creation. It's kind of like, like you've planned a vacation. And you took the time off and... You booked the Airbnb, you've saved up the money, but you've thought, you know, far enough ahead to save up the money for this. You booked the Airbnb, you have these aspirations, like this is a family vacation, we're gonna make some memories, you know? The kids are maybe like kind of old enough, you're like, they'll, they'll maybe remember it. We didn't actually take family vacations until I was sure that my kids would probably remember it because it seemed like a waste of money <laughs> otherwise. And so like you've booked it, you've planned for it, You're anticipating the memories. Everything's going great. The car is full. 
You're all packed up. The iPad is charged because you're not a perfect parent, and that's okay. Because they're going to binge movies for like 12 hours, and that's fine. You're not ruining them, I promise you. Like You got the iPad charged, everything's ready to go, and you've barely put the key in the ignition, and everything's going wrong. Every, like, like one kid has punched the other kid, and then they spilled their Cheerios, the whole box, somehow. They got, they got to hold the whole box, you know? And the Cheerios smell like bananas, because you made the mistake of putting them next to the bananas. Like, why? And, like, everything's going right. And then your spouse is angry with you, because you're angry at your kids, and you're already raising your voice and saying irrational things, right? And they're like, really? You know? And it's like, and now you got conflict with your spouse, That's our story. Just three chapters into the Bible. Everything goes from beautifully complete to fatally broken. The human race didn't even get out of the driveway before everything went terribly wrong. This is why everything is broken in our world. This is why you experience the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of this life, because everything that is wrong with the world is a result of direct, is a, is a direct or indirect result of sin, either sin done by you or sin done to you, or the reality that we live in a fallen, broken creation. Why all the sickness? Why all the pain? Why all the suffering? It's because two pages in, three chapters into the Bible, everything went terribly, terribly wrong. And maybe for you, the Old Testament is kind of a weird, confusing, scary place of the Bible. Like, I can kind of get the Jesus stuff in the New Testament, but the Old Testament, man, those things. I tried a Bible reading plan, and I died in Leviticus. Like, everyone did, does that, you know? It's like, why? The Old Testament is a scary place. But here, here's what the Old Testament is about. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Malachi chapter 4, the beginning to the end of the Old Testament, here's what it's about. It's about the inconsistent striving and the insufficient sacrifice of a humanity totally unable to get back to God on their own. That's the whole story of the Old Testament. Time and time and time again, story after story, rule after rule, law after law, sacrifice after sacrifice, inconsistent striving and insufficient suffering of a humanity totally unable to get back to God on their own. Act one is creation. Act two was the fall. But praise God, like Cody said last week, that the Bible doesn't end with Genesis 3. But what we have this week is Act 3. And as a curtain opens on Act 3, what we are going to see is a glimpse of the redemption that God has brought in the person of Jesus Christ. And so three things that we're going to see in Act 3, as God brings about redemption in the person of Jesus Christ, is we're going to see Jesus with us, Jesus for us, and Jesus in us. Jesus with us, Jesus for us, and Jesus in us in us. So Jesus with us. We're going to be in three different passages this morning. So the first one is John chapter 1, verse 14. It'll be up on the screen for you. Here's what it says. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, Jesus Christ, 
John chapter 1, called the Word of God. You can tell a lot about someone by their words, can't you? You can tell a lot about someone by the words that they say, because what words do is that words take who we are internally and puts it on display to everyone else around us externally. Like, like you, uh, I've known a few people, it's hilarious, my mom is one of them. She'll, she's probably watching this right now. Hi, mom. Uh, so, a lot of times people will say, you're such a nice person. This is to my mom specifically. And my mom is a great person, by the way. There you are, mom. Uh, <laughs> but they'll be like, you're such a nice person. And usually the way she'll respond is, well, you don't know what I'm thinking. <laughs> it's like, yes, because what we say displays what is actually within us. This is why Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 6 that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. The overflow of the mouth that the heart speaks. That what is in your heart comes out in your words. It's like your words are the breath of your heart. This is why it's so fun when your kids begin to talk, isn't it? Like they're my, 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 my six-year-old son, now his birthday was last week, uh, we were watching one of our friend's newborn baby, and uh, we asked him, like, Judah, do you like babies? He said, no, they're boring. <laughs> they don't do anything. It's like, they don't do anything, and they just sit there and do nothing. Like, like, babies do have a personality, but they clearly begin to develop, and then especially when they can begin to formulate words, right? And as they formulate words, it's almost like you have a new person, because their personality is just blooming right in front of you. What was always, like, in there, they now have language for. And the pinnacle of God's expression of himself isn't in the utterance of a sound, but it's in the display of a person. Jesus Christ, the word of God, the display of who God is. God looks at us and says, yeah, you, you express who you are by the words that you say, by the utterances of sounds. I'm gonna show you who I am by the display of a person. Jesus Christ, the word of God, became flesh it says he dwelt among us. Now that word dwelt is literally the Greek word for the word tabernacle. Now again, in that scary part of the Bible, in the Old Testament, we see the tabernacle, that Old Testament tent that was commissioned by God as the place of sacrifice, as a place of sacrifice and the place where his presence would dwell among his people, that the tabernacle, as his people moved through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, God commissioned that they would build a tent so that he would have a place to dwell with them and that wherever he went, they would go. And wherever they went, he would go with them as they made their way to the promised land. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus Christ tabernacled with us. What was once a place is now a person. Jesus Christ, God the Son in the flesh to lead us to God, but not simply as a way to God. It's not like Jesus is one of many ways to God as though there are many ways to God. Look at, look at what it says further on in John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son 
from the Father, the one and only, the one and only Son from the Father, which means that the presence of God is not a feeling, it's a person. The presence of God is not an experience, but it's a person. That the way to God is not your performance. It's not, like the, it's not like the one and only way to God is how good you are. It's the person of Jesus Christ. The way to God is not spirituality. The way to God is not intelligence. How many people think that they're too smart for God? The way to God is not positive thinking. The way to God is not be true to yourself. The way to God is in the person of Jesus Christ, the one and only Son from the Father. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here in Act 3, here at Christmas, we get Jesus with us, but not only that, we get Jesus for us. Now, maybe you've heard it said that Jesus came to earth to die. Jesus came to die. Like it's this massive jump from the manger to the cross. Jesus was born to die. That's what he came to do. But my question to that then would be, is if Jesus was born simply to die, then the whole Christmas account of Matthew chapter 2 makes absolutely no sense. Here's why. If you remember from Matthew chapter 2, Jesus is born. We have shepherds who come, wise men come later. They first go to Herod, who is the king at the time, and they ask Herod, do you know where this king has been born? And Herod, threatened by the fact that there has been another king born in his region, issues a decree that all male children, two years old and younger, would be killed. But in a dream, an angel appears to Joseph, says, hey, flee to Egypt because Herod is seeking the life of Jesus, and they flee from Herod's genocidal quest. So if Jesus was only born to die, then why flee from Herod? Why, why not accomplish God's redemptive saving work in Jesus dying in the first year of Jesus's life? Why three more decades of life would Jesus live? This could have happened way quicker. Herod could have killed him as a Little child, he could have risen from the dead. Blood would have been spilled like everything you think would have gone right. Why? Why flee at all? Why three decades of life? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Here's what it says. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Verse 10, for in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Did you see that? It was entirely appropriate. It was fitting in God's good 
and perfect wisdom to make the pioneer of our salvation, Jesus Christ, to make him perfect through suffering. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus was made perfect through sufferings? Here's what it means. It means that Jesus was made perfect through sufferings, not because he was at any point imperfect, not because he was at any point sinful, but because Jesus, in his perfection, moved from untested obedience. Remember, before he came to earth, there had been no test of his obedience. He had lived, he had eternally existed in perfect communion with the Father in a perfect situation up in heaven. He was made perfect through sufferings because he moved from untested obedience into suffering and through suffering into proven obedience. Because until this point, his glorious perfection had not been tested in the fires of human flesh living in a fallen creation. Oh, Jesus was always perfect. But Jesus had not lived in human flesh in the midst of a fallen creation. So he is made perfect through sufferings in proving his perfection by walking in our shoes in a fallen world. And even in a fallen and sinful world, Jesus remained obedient to the Father in every way. He remained holy and righteous all while experiencing every weight and affliction that you and I could ever experience. You see, Jesus didn't just come to die. Jesus came to live. He didn't just come to die the death that we deserved. He came to live the life that we could never live. The perfect life of obedience to God the Father. Jesus with us. Jesus for us. And then finally, Jesus in us. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Check this out. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement will be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, what we have at Christmas is Jesus with us. We have God in the flesh. We also have Jesus for us, that he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. But then we also have Jesus in us, that he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, but he died the death that we deserve. But not only that, he died and rose again to fulfill God's law on our behalf. And then to turn around and give us his spirit to live within us. Fast forward here, Romans chapter 8, verse 10. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives within you. See, you see God in the Old Testament where, where you quit your Bible reading plan in Leviticus, like the elephant graveyard of Bible reading plans, all of those laws. God gave his law not as a curse, but as a blessing. You might have felt like reading the law was a curse, let alone being under it. Like, but he didn't give it as a curse. 
God gave his law as a blessing. That's very difficult for us to understand because very few of us see the law as something other than a restriction on our liberties. My guess is on the way here, when you saw the speed limit signs as you were drag racing down Green Hill, <laughs> you were not delighting in the law. <laughs> you were suspicious of it, right? Because you, you see your speedometer and you're constantly looking around. You're going, if I was a police officer, where would I hide to catch me? That's what you're thinking. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> we don't see the law as a blessing. We see it as something that simply restricts our liberties. And the reason that we see it that way is because we tend to separate restrictions from relationship. We do. We separate restrictions from relationship. But the reality is, and you know this to be true, you don't have to be a Christian to know this to be true. The reality is, is that the more serious the relationship is, the more strict the restrictions in that relationship are. Let me say that again. The more serious the relationship is, the more strict the restrictions in that relationship are. My guess is, is that your relationship with your wife would be greatly hindered if you wanted to see other people and also see her. That is a restriction because of the depth of your relationship. This is why at some point in any dating relationship, you get to a point where you have to sit down and have that like define the relationship moment with that other person, right? Like this is the difference between dating and just hanging out. I, I, I've, it's only been recently that I've, I've begun to figure this out, right? It's like, are you dating them? It's like, no, we're just hanging out. I'm like, I don't know what that means. We're just hanging out. Like right now, but no one's asking me if we're anything. Like, that's the difference. Which might I suggest, like, like this, sorry, this is a tangent. So if, for free college students, okay, um, if I can just suggest, I, I'm, I'm done trying to eliminate the hanging out language. I think that's a futile endeavor. So let me just help you kind of define what the difference between dating and hanging out is. The difference between dating and hanging out is, would you be genuinely uh, upset if the person you're hanging out with went to dinner and a movie with somebody else? If so, you're not hanging out. You're dating. Like, like the exclusivity of that relationship brings with it restrictions. And it's within the context of relationship that we understand that. Exclusivity is a restriction, but it isn't an arbitrary restriction. It's a good restriction. It's a necessary restriction. If that relationship is gonna, is gonna have any like vibrant depth or intimacy or future at all. So God gave his law, not for arbitrary restrictions, not as a curse, but as a blessing to say, this is what it looks like for a fallen humanity to still be able to dwell with me. 
and for me to still be able to be with you. God gave his law to facilitate vibrant relationship. Jesus Christ came to earth to be God with us. By his perfect life and sacrificial death, he perfectly fulfilled God's law for us. And he rose again so that his Holy Spirit would live in us. And this is why Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, at the very beginning of all these things, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. Now, many people, that's a great verse. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Awesome verse. Many, many people want to end Romans chapter 8, verse 1. They want to end it after the first six words. What are those first six words? Therefore, there is now no condemnation. To which we go, great. Free grace, free acceptance, no condemnation. Like, where do I sign up? I don't even care how many emails I get. That sounds awesome. Now, our culture would have you believe that a God of love is a God who puts a period at the end of the first six words of Romans chapter 8. But Romans 8 verse 1 with only the first six words is a false gospel. Because the message of the gospel is not a gospel of just general amnesty. Like, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Everything's good. Live however you want. Jesus did it all. Doesn't matter. No, the message of the gospel is that therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Which means, conversely, that there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. You see, being in Christ is the only way by which anyone escapes the wrath of God towards sin. It's the only way. Like, God is a God of love, yes, but God is also a God of justice. And this God of justice must, must punish sin, must punish all of the wrong. You see, just as a seamstress needs a needle to pierce the fabric before she can thread the beautiful silk through, we have to hear the sting. We have to be pierced by the problem that we have, that it's not just that God loves us, God accepts us, but it's that you have a massive problem, that all the brokenness that is happening in this world is a result of the sin that lives within you and me. And it's not until we reckon with, it's not until we are pierced by the truth of the great problem that we have, it's not until then that we can hear the beautiful thread of silk of the gospel of Jesus Christ who fulfilled God's perfect law on your behalf so that you could be brought to God. You see, a God without wrath is a God without justice. And a God without justice is a God without goodness. And a God without goodness is ultimately a God without love.
Are you in Christ this morning? Are you in Christ? Because Jesus didn't come because we're good just the way we are. No, he came precisely because we aren't good just the way we are. Are you in Christ? Have you received the forgiveness that only comes by grace through faith in the, in the sufficient finished work of Jesus Christ? You see, the story of nearly every belief system in the world is you break it, you buy it. Remember, I was at a store when I was a little kid. This is like one of those core memories, right? I'm at a store uh, in Branson. I don't know why we're there. And um, I don't even remember what the store, it was like a knickknack store, you know? I think that's every store in Branson. And I'm like, I sat on this suitcase. For some reason, looks sturdy enough, broke it. We bought it. <laughs> we walked out with the big, I could fit in this suitcase. It was so huge. The story of every belief system in this world is you break it, you buy it. It's the story that says things aren't the way they should be. And so now you have to try really hard to make it right. It's the story that says that you aren't the way you should be. So you have to try really hard to make yourself right. To get yourself in order. You need to be your best you. You need to reach greater enlightenment. You need to embrace better technology. In the words of Siddhartha Buddha, the last words that he said, strive without ceasing. You break it, you buy it. But the story of Christianity is a better story. It's a greater story because the story of Christianity isn't you break it, you buy it. It's we broke it, he bought it. It isn't do whatever you can to discover the light within yourself. Now, the story of Christianity is that Jesus Christ, the word of God, the light of the world, came into our darkness to guide us into the way of peace with God. The story of Christianity isn't follow a bunch of good moral rules and maybe you'll be good enough. Now, the story of Christianity is that there's no way you can make yourself perfect. If you feel overwhelmed by reading God's law, that's the whole point. You should, because we could never fulfill it within ourselves. The story of Christianity is that there's no way you can make yourself perfect. So Jesus Christ came to live the perfect life that you couldn't live and to die the death that you deserved to die to fulfill all of God's law on your behalf. And it's because of his work that if you are in Christ, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? You say, what does that mean? Here's what that means. It simply means saying to God, God, I'm done trusting in myself to make myself good enough. I'm done trying to be my own God, to be my own master, to be my own Lord, to control my own life. I'm done running my life. But God, I want you to be my master. because of the perfect life Jesus lived, because of the sufficient death that he died, and because of the victorious resurrection of Jesus 
from the dead. It's submitting to God as your master. Now, you might say, and there are probably many of you who would say, Jake, I've believed in Jesus. And my question for you is, are you living verses four and five of Romans chapter eight? Look at this again. Walking not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. If you are in Christ, you will not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in accordance with the spirit of God, to have your mind set on the things of the spirit of God? What does that mean? It means that for those who are in Christ, do you have a constant awareness of and dependence on the Holy Spirit who lives within you to walk in joyful obedience to God's commands? Because you can't have Jesus as your Savior and not have Jesus as your Lord. That word Lord simply means master, one who is in charge. You can't have Jesus as your Savior and not have Jesus as your Lord. Have you ever been to McDonald's? Of course you have. I, I did a little math. Interestingly enough, McDonald's has sold enough hamburgers in its last 66 years of existence to be able to give every human who has ever lived two and a half hamburgers. That's why they stopped counting. So it's like over 99 billion sold, right? So of course you've been to McDonald's. We all have, like a hundred times. And I still don't get why the line in the drive-thru so long as though this is the first time we're ever seeing that menu. It's like, you've been here before, just order. But it's like, it's like when you go through, like when you go to McDonald's and you, you order a burger or something and they say, do you want fries with that? And you're like, yeah. Sure. Like it's, just, it's, it's like this like optional add-on. You want fries with that? Yeah. Why not? I'm not trying to live forever. A lot of people treat Jesus that way. Like his authority in your life is, is like a side order. It's like you walk up to the counter, and God is there, and you say, yeah, I'd like happiness and heaven, please. And then he goes, you want obedience with that? You want submission with that? Do you want my authority with that? And then we're kind of like, ah. I mean, I'm not that hungry. You don't get salvation without Jesus. And you don't get Jesus as your savior without submitting to him as your Lord. And so Christian this morning, what attitudes and actions, what desires and passions exist in your life that are not in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Because brothers and sisters, you have not just been rescued from condemnation. You've been rescued for righteousness, to walk in step with the Spirit in accordance to his good commands with joy. The story of Christmas is that Jesus came into the world 
to live with us. He came to live his perfect life for us and he died and rose again so that his spirit would live within us. Remember I said this, this is a four-act play. This is a four-act story. And there's still one act left to go. Because not only does Christ offer abundant life now, but in Christ, get this, in Christ, we also have an abundant hope of a glorious future with him forever. So be sure to come back next week. College students, I'm sure the internet is wherever you're at. So be sure to come back next week as Jordan shows us this glorious future, this glorious hope that we have with Christ. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we thank you for becoming flesh and dwelling among us so that you could lead us to God. What a glorious gift. A glorious truth. That you came not to tell us to strive without ceasing, but you came to tell us that it is finished. And that all the brokenness can be undone. That all the sin that lives within us can be paid for. That we can have a hope of a future one day where all the sad things will become untrue. Father, I pray for those sitting in this room from the sound of my voice right now who have not received Jesus Christ, who have not submitted to him as their Lord and Savior. God, would you do a work in their heart to show them their desperate need of you and the abundant joy that can be theirs in Christ. Would you do that by your spirit? Pray it in Christ's name, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.